Welcome to Leave Your Mark, where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page at Scott G. Livingston. My goal is to create a community of people who take every opportunity to live high-performing lives. Before I get started on today's podcast, I want to take a moment to connect you with my sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. Reconditioning has gone completely virtual. We've taken both our Level 1 and Level 2 courses and loaded them onto an online platform so that you can digest the power of this amazing operating system from the comfort of your home. We combine this recorded video experience with live Zoom labs to bring all the principles and practices of reconditioning to life through applied case study. In turn, you walk away with how to best use this language of common practice to bring the worlds of therapy and performance together in one powerful approach that creates lasting change in your client's performance. This fall, ReconditioningHQ.com is launching a complete experience package that brings all of the video teachings together with a powerful mentorship program and a weekly community touchpoint so you can grow as the reconditioning revolution grows. We are truly excited about the possibilities. We believe that success in any venture begins with the right mindset. We know that the statistics for burnout in human performance are significant and that many of our colleagues face questions every day about personal fulfillment and living their best life. This is why we've started a landmark program for human performance professionals called Empower You. This program is all about crafting your best life, living purposefully, and enjoying the fruits of your impassioned labor. For more information about reconditioning courses or our amazing Empower You program, head over to reconditioninghq.com and use the coupon code LYM50 for $50 Canadian off the program of your choice. Understatement alert for sports performance coaches and proactive healthcare professionals, the last six months have been very challenging. We are now seeing the permanent changes in our profession, how our services are delivered, are affected, and we must adapt. Providing safe and effective health and fitness coaching has never been more needed, yet never been more uncertain. Matrix Fitness Canada wants to help you in your journey. Matrix Fitness is a premier brand of fitness equipment designed for organizations, professionals, and exercisers alike. If you are refreshing your facility, they can help. If you are in need of setting up clients with their home gym space, they can help. The Matrix Fitness Canada Ambassador Program is designed to help you expand the reach of your services. This program supports your expertise in supporting home gym design so your clients can have what they need to continue to subscribe to your services. The best part? You can insert yourself into the economic equation as a Matrix Fitness Canada Ambassador. For more information on requirements to qualify and the details around their services, please connect with Nikki.Turner at jhtcanada.com. Welcome to our newest Leave Your Mark sponsor, Rep Performance. Rep Performance is a web application founded by NHLers Nick Foligno and his strength and conditioning coach, Callan McGibbon. Understanding the importance of the developmental stages and their impact on long-term athlete development, they launched an online performance for coaches, trainers, or teachers that would instill a foundation of fitness, share their story, and help them ensure no athlete slips through the cracks and they are equipped to succeed in sport in life. Visit them at repperformanceapp.com. I was recently honored to have the opportunity to host the Altus uh, poolside chats at their virtual ACP. And in this first segment that I'm going to uh, post on Leave Your Mark, I had the opportunity to chat with uh, Stu McGill, Dan Paff, and Matt Jordan, all very accomplished professionals. We had a great conversation about a whole bunch of things in in performance, really around return to performance and return to play. Um, I've been allowed to post them up to my community on Leave Your Mark, so I leave them for your interest. Also, those of you who are interested in reconditioning, um, we have courses coming up December 5th, 6th in our R1 Foundations and December 12th, 13th for our R2 Designs course. And we'll have a whole host of dates coming for New Year uh, 2021. Looking forward to that new year and starting uh, to really explore the possibilities of our community. So otherwise, enjoy this podcast and have a great day.
Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm Scott Livingston and today I have the opportunity to speak with Cody Royal. Cody is an author, podcast host, and football coach. Currently he serves as the head coach of AFL Team Canada, the men's national program for Australian rules football. Cody is a standout voice in the crossover of leadership principles between sports and business. His first book, Where Others Won't, proposed that businesses should look at how pro sports teams focus on team dynamics and talent optimization in order to innovate. The success of Where Others Won't spawned a -a one-of-a-kind podcast series of the same name, which reached Apple's top 100 within a week of launch. Guests include former Colorado Avalanche head coach Tony Granato, Detroit Pistons legend Joe Dumars, New England Patriots executive Michael Lombardi, former Netflix CHRO Patty McCord, and best-selling authors Adam Grant and Daniel Pink. I'm excited to have a fellow podcaster and leader in the world of sport performance on the show. Welcome, Cody. Thank you, Scott. It's good to be here. Yeah. Well, I discovered you um, not through your podcast, but uh, you were doing an Altus virtual ACP presentation and you were talking about, you know, leadership, but more about the, the human, you know, I would call journey that people go through and the things that they struggle with and, and are challenged by as coaches. And I want to get into that a little bit, but first, uh, since this is a life journey podcast, I want to sort of discover you and for my listeners. So you're an Australian, you're Australian born. Um, tell me about, um, you know, little Cody and uh, growing up in Australia and what was life like there? Yeah, so I was uh, born in Canberra, the capital city. I tell Canadians that it's like Ottawa in that <laughs> it's kind of the, the one that they built in between the two major cities. And um, so uh, born there and, and my first sport was actually um, rugby league, which a lot of people aren't familiar with, but a, a big game in Australia um, you know, kind of derivative of rugby union, the 15 man game. And so that was my, my early obsession. Mm. Uh, I ended up in Aussie rules, but, um, yeah, so just a, a young kid obsessed with sport. And at that time there was one team in town and they were the Canberra Raiders and they were green. And so, you know, that obsession was fueled by this uh, team that everyone went and watched and, and we had green milk. Um, that's how that's how much they meant to everyone in town. And yeah, that was kind of just my my earliest memories are of being on the schoolyard, playing rugby league, and going to games, and being in the backyard, and you know, playing. I would go and play the games for for both teams. I was kind of one of those kids that was so obsessed. I'd you know get my book out and write both teams, you know, whole squads down and I'd go out to the, the yard and play for both teams back and forth up and down the garden. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that, those are the earliest memories. And So when you uh, looked up at the stars and envisioned life in the future, what was it you dreamed of? All I ever wanted to do was play for the, the Canberra Raiders and, mm. and really by extension that was play professional sport. And so when we moved to Melbourne, we moved when I was – I just turned nine Um, and that, you know, going to Melbourne from, from New South Wales or from the ACT is, uh, it's not far, but what, what it does from a sporting perspective is it changes the dynamic. Aussie rules is the religion down South. If you've ever been to Australia, it, it, again, it sounds really bizarre to people, but sport in Australia is very regional. And so, um, down south, the obsession is Aussie rules. And so I just took that same dream, play for the Canberra Raiders, and, and it uh, supplanted, you know, play professional Aussie rules into that as well. So that became the new obsession once we were in Melbourne. <laughs> for, the, for the listener who doesn't know the two games, what's – I know I know the two games enough to sort of understand the big differentiators, but what's, what's the mental differentiator in the two games, or is there one in your viewpoint? I mean, they're just completely different games altogether. So, um, I mean, everything from the way the ball flows to how you're trying to create and and utilise space to uh, even just the, you know, Aussie rules is 360 versus all the rugby codes, including American football and Canadian football, which are derived from rugby, are just 
uh, kind of very straightforward. Um, and so, yeah, they, they do have a, a different mentality in terms of just playing the games um, and what's needed to succeed at the highest levels. Um, I, I certainly had to relearn a lot um, when I went down south and started playing Aussie rules. It's something I hadn't even seen before, let alone um, being able to play. So when you're but, playing sport, are you an intellectual athlete or a physical athlete? Uh, intellectual, but mm. uh, yeah, my, you know, the, if you fast forward to, you know, being my draft age years in the AFL, it was, I thought my way out of the game mm. and, and I didn't have, you know, what you would call a, uh, like a, a, a dumb button. I couldn't dumb it down and just go and be in the flow and, and not think about the game. Mm. Um, it's probably set me up for success in coaching, but as a player, I, I just became too obsessed with the, the intellectual side and trying to solve the intellectual puzzle rather than just dumbing it down and, you know, go and get ball, <laughs> which, which you, you, you need, you need right. at a certain point. Right. Yeah. You mentioned uh, in the note that you sent to me that uh, your, your father wasn't as much in your life, but your grandfather was. And what, what did your grandfather mean to you and, and what, character dimensions or experiences that he passed down to you that you've carried into the life you live now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I haven't spoken about this much, but uh, I guess the easy one in terms of what my grandfather meant was uh, when mum got remarried, uh, you know, my, my surname for the majority of my, my life was Cannon. Um, my birth name was Royal. So I actually went back to my birth name. Mm. Um, and it was really f because of the influence that my grandfather had. So, um, yeah, like most of my friends from school know me by a different name. So even on Facebook nowadays, I, you know, some people kind of look at me like, who, like, who is this guy who's Cody mm. Royal? Because they never knew me by that. And, and it was that influence of my, my grandfather and, and, uh, I mean, his, what he kind of gave to me was, um, you know, hard work and opportunity and, and creating opportunity and, and taking risks. Um, and, you know, he, he just exemplified that every day, you know, he, he moved to, moved to Australia from England, um, with, it was four sons at that stage. And, you know, this was in the, uh, kind of sixties, um, you know, four young boys and he, you know, he tells me that in those days it was like the flight pattern was London to, to Paris, Paris to Istanbul, <laughs> Istanbul to, you know, Mumbai, Mumbai to Singapore, Singapore to Sydney, you know. And so even that, think about that with four boys, four young boys, you know, moving your whole family from England to Australia and then, you know, started a really successful business and, and just made it work. And so that's what he gave to me and, and that as well as, you know, what my, my mother went through as well was, uh, has really set me up for success in terms of moving from Melbourne to Toronto and just making things work and carving out opportunities for yourself and, and getting involved in, in Aussie rules over here and starting a podcast over here and ending up interviewing all these great people, CEOs of the biggest companies in the world and my heroes growing up watching NBA basketball. You know, now they're my friends and, and that really comes from just that, that work ethic and that desire to make things happen for yourself rather than waiting for them. And so, yeah, that was my, my grandfather certainly and, and my mother as well. So you um, obviously you're playing Aussie rules football, you're, where does the transition sort of come from? You're an athlete. Now you're going to move into potentially coaching, but I'm assuming you're also going to do in a degree or whatever it is that you're doing because you're kind of in the tech industry as a, as a professional domain, so to speak. So tell me about that sort of confluence or that period of time in your life when you're discovering maybe your, your trade and craft versus your, your passion and coaching. Yeah. So I, I didn't get drafted. So 18 was the, the age, uh, the draft age in the AFL at the time. And that's all I ever wanted to do. I, I literally, I didn't want to do any of the subjects at university. I had no interest. And I ended up, <laughs> my degree is actually in human resources. Hmm. Um, and that really came from my stepdad just being in that industry. And I think if I were to look at it in hindsight, 
it was it was team building. It was teams, and that's all. I, that's what I understood. And it was teams in a workplace. But all I'd ever been interested in, you know, if you think back to that example I gave you earlier of being a seven-year-old writing out the teams of, you know, both the rugby league sides and playing for both of them is that is a consistent thread through my life. And I, so I studied HR, worked in HR for a little while. And then when I moved to Canada, um, stayed in, in recruiting. So I was still interested in that team aspect. Um, and really fell into writing. It was it was writing about coaching and about sports um, that led me on the journey to you know be in, in tech and and be in user experience and work on you know some of the biggest apps in the country and um, that all kind of fell together and it's just been part of this journey of a door opens and walk through that door um, mm-hmm. and it was similar with coaching as well. It was, I, I just fell out of love with the game and it was coaching that opened that love back up to me. Um, I didn't want to, uh, kind of got to a point where I didn't want to play unless I was playing at the top level. And I just got so frustrated with it that, you know, I kind of, yeah, re- reverted to that intellectual game and said, well, why don't I go and try and solve that intellectual puzzle and get involved in coaching? And then, How challenging was that for you when you kind of real you, the realization point that you weren't going to get drafted and you weren't going to your dream was no longer going to happen? Was that difficult for you to? Uh, to so like this, this is this was this is my main challenge in life is is getting over that devastation when and I know it sounds such a first world problem, but when all you've ever wanted to do in life is is one thing. And not not being taken away from you, but you don't achieve it. Like I look back at some of my you know my early Facebook posts and being a young man, and there's just so much anger mm. at the world. And and I spent ten years trying to get over that anger, and and it's it's cost me relationships and it's cost me jobs. It's you know. Um, and, and really, if you, if you want to trace the, the root of that, it's, it's that one thing, not being able to do that. And the funny thing is the reality of it all is what the average life of a professional athlete's two or three years anyway. So mm. even if I had made it, you know, probably would have fallen out of the system anyway, but it was just this obsession from the earliest, earliest stages. And, and yeah, I look back at myself now that I'm 30, what am I, 36 and I spent probably 18 to 31 just furious at the world. And, uh, and I've really had to uh, assess that and assess the behaviour that, that came from that. But it was really that not being able to achieve really what I wanted in, in life. It's interesting because this fire, this fire, fury, et cetera, it often fuels things, right? So for, in some sense, what did it fuel in your, the success that you've had with your book and your podcast and other projects? And what did it also maybe derail or prevent you from maybe achieving that you're discovering now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's funny. I was thinking about this recently and that competitiveness came back out in these other endeavors. Mm-hmm. So, you know, writing and then podcasting and, and even, you know, getting in touch with guests and, and it becomes this, okay, who, who else can I get in touch with? Who else can I learn from? Um, you know, who, who hasn't been on other shows that I can try and get to and, and network with. And um, it, it's kind of impressed with my intellect, if you will, you know, there is a <laughs> bit of ego still in it, which it comes from that athletic side. You, mm-hmm. you know, we, we tend to talk down at ego, um, which is nonsense as far as I'm concerned. It, it's a part of the human experience and, and um, I still have it and everyone still, ha- still has it. Um, but that came back out in these latest endeavours, uh, mm-hmm. including my writing. Like I, I, I want to point things out to people that are interesting to me and, and make sense or don't make sense. And, and I want to speak to the, the best practitioners in the world on my podcast. And so, yeah, if you were to look at it from that lens, I think that fire and desire and drive that 
was fueled athletically is now in this new pursuit mm. and and there's a lot of the same elements which uh, I, now, I now feel prepared for having been through that mm. uh, and yeah just, and kind of watching myself as a performer on this stage I, I, I feel a lot more prepared than when I was an athlete Hmm. what so you didn't sort of tell me but why why do you end up going from melbourne to toronto it's kind of an odd sort of uh change out of the blue so there must have been something that precipitated or instigated that yeah i was unhappy with the world as i said before my my position in it and then uh, what all my mates were doing was buying houses and, and settling down at, you know, 24. And I didn't want to do that. I knew there was more to the world. And, you know, I was listening to, to your episode with Burjo a little earlier and, um, you know, Burjo's a, a mate of mine and, and he was talking about, you know, moving around the world and opening up, you know, the horizons for his children and having them see other things. And, I, I barely even left Australia at that stage and I knew there was more to the world than settling down and going and buying a house in the suburbs. And so I wanted to explore that and I wasn't set on Toronto, Scott. Like I, I it was kind of a fallback option. The option one was actually Chicago. Mm. Um, the States are hard to get into obviously, but I wanted to give it a try, but I, I was willing to look at, you know, Amsterdam, Dubai, Mumbai, Tokyo, Shanghai. I, I just wanted to go and work overseas somewhere and experience the world differently. Um, just because Australia, you forget this, is a big island in the middle of nowhere. <laughs> and uh, and I, lo- I love Australia, but it lacks context mm-hmm. because there's nothing to validate anything that we tell ourselves because there's there's no different languages, there's no, you know, there's no neighbours, you know, it's just floating in the middle of nowhere and so whatever we say goes that just becomes gospel mm-hmm. and there's detriments to that and so I wanted to go and explore and say okay yeah, but, yeah, yeah what more is there to this because they're from what I've seen in my first 24 years it, it's not good enough mm-hmm. so that was kind of a, the, the original plan and yeah 10 or 11 years later I'm still here <laughs> Never so went what up. What uh, I I don't I don't say the word ignorance in a in a derogatory way, but what ignorance did you discover in yourself when you arrived in Toronto um, about the world, so to speak, at this point when you you fly to another place and land in, in the big metropolis of To? <laughs> yeah, um, just how small scale our problems were in Australia. <laughs> And, it, and quite frankly, it's it's why I'm still in North America is that the problems here that you can solve, I don't mean bad problems, um, you know, the, the business problems, the, the the jobs, the things that are working on are on the cutting edge. And, and it's like it's the big time over here and I think we forget that. And, you know, particularly being so close to the States and, and uh, you know, being able to do business in the states and trying to solve yeah, big problems um, with you know big companies that are on a global scale that became really interesting to me, and, and that's what really stood out and captivated me. Uh, and it kind of felt like the the bright lights. Um, an example that I often use <laughs> for this is uh, not long after I landed, uh, Australia had their first female prime minister, and. We we like to we like to think that you know the US cares about Australia and you know we're an ally and all this sort of stuff. Honestly, mate, it was on like page ninety two of the Boston Globe. Like it was in the bottom corner. It, I mean, Australia's like oh, America's going to be so happy with us. You know, we've done this great thing. We've finally got a female PM. America couldn't care less. And uh, and that's <laughs> if if I were to sum it up in one story, that's basically the story. <laughs> No, no one cares and and you you realize that when you get over here or you get to europe and and you know you, there's these just sizable things in the world that you can deal with that just don't exist in australia and that's not to be derogatory to australia um it is what it is but for me personally i was really captivated just by the size of things here so when when does when does the writing of the book happen? Is that before you arrive in Canada, or you wrote this when once you're in Canada? 
Naira. It's in 2017, so I've okay. been here for eight years. Okay. Yeah. And so what's the instigator or igniter of writing that book? So it was the, the coming together of those two worlds that we've been talking about, my kind of business experience, building teams and, and watching how teams are built. And then, you know, being the head coach of a, a national sporting organization and trying to build a high-performing team, you know, Saturday and Sunday. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, watching how the biggest companies in in the world build their teams from a corporate perspective as well. And I, I started to write about that dynamic uh, in blog form to start with. And then it became uh, a book. It started to crystallize as an idea as um, really it was, it was kind of advocating for businesses to look more thoroughly at sports uh, in terms of, there was this wave of um, need to focus on people as a competitive advantage in the business world. Um, previously, you didn't have to care. You could always make something faster. You could always have a faster supply chain. You could play around with price. It was just the, the churn. Um, and then people started to become the X factor. And then what the, the mistake that was being made was – businesses were looking at sport as motivation. Let's bring in the hockey players, bring in Gretzky and we'll get a motivational speech. Let's bring in a quarterback and we'll get a motivational speech. It's not motivation. It's, uh, it's dynamics of people and organizing and utilizing people is the lesson from sport that business should have been looking at. So I, I wrote about that. Like we have 150 years of collective knowledge about how to utilize human talent and put them together in teams and have them achieve great things. And so the book is about, is about it's like sport has this collective knowledge, but you're looking at motivation and it's, it's not the right thing to be looking at. So yeah. um, that just, it was just a, an epiphany, if you will, that came to me at, through just watching all these different dynamics at the same time, Monday to Friday in the, in the corporate workplace, Saturday and Sunday, doing it myself, actually being ingrained in it, and uh, yeah, a book popped out. What do you What do you like, um, or what's inspiring in, in writing for you? Our sponsor, Rep Performance, is a web application launched by co-founders Nick Foligno and Callan McGibbon. Their platform is designed for teachers and youth sport coaches with pre-designed testing templates and AI-driven workouts geared to individual needs. They aim to provide every coach the ability to develop fitness for life in the athletes of tomorrow, share their story, and help them ensure no athlete slips through the cracks and they are equipped to succeed in sport and life. Visit them at Rep performanceapp.com today. Our sponsor, Matrix Fitness, produces training tools that focus on improving the training experience for athletes and coaches alike. With equipment that focuses on building speed, power, and explosive performance in most efficient manner, Matrix has partnered with some of the top sporting organizations worldwide. COVID has forced us all to rethink how we are offering our services. With that in mind, Matrix Fitness Canada has created an ambassador program designed to help you expand the reach of your services. This program supports your expertise in supporting home gym design so your clients can have what they need to continue to subscribe to your services. The best part? You can insert yourself into the economic equation as a Matrix Fitness Canada ambassador. For more information on requirements to qualify and the details around their services, please connect with Nikki.turner at jhtcanada.com. It allows me to cut through a lot of the, uh, probably that that anger that's still uh, still inside me to a certain Mm -hmm. extent and and the ability to be able to formulate my ideas and, and have them crystallize. It's a lot easier for me to write it than to speak it. Mm -hmm. And so I found some solace in that early on. So, again, I started blogging in about 2009. And really, initially, it was just a way of me getting out some of that angst, Um, Mm. you know, being a 20-something-year-old man that was kind of angry at the world, like I said. And and now, yeah, now it's really about such a great outlet for me personally. It makes a lot more sense 
to me written than it does in my brain and, and coming out of my mouth. How does the um, coaching thing start up for you with uh, obviously a sport that Canadians don't know a lot about and you sort of get into a national team program? How does that all sort of get instigated for you? Yeah, it's been a building process and, you know, one is the education piece about what the sport is um, in the first place and there's a whole range of different facets to that. Um, but really, uh, you know, what fascinated me and, and the path that I wanted to be on in Australia was to work with elite athletes. And so, you know, I've been able to do that here and, and work with, you know, guys and girls that are coming out of, you know, youth sports programs and have nothing to do outside of that. Uh, it, it boggles my mind that there's basically only pick-up sport after university um, coming from the Australian way of doing things where there's suburban leagues everywhere that pay money and, you know, some people are making 20 grand, 30 grand, 40 grand just playing Aussie rules or playing rugby uh, on, on Saturdays for their local team. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to be able to, to grab those kind of athletes and say, like, let's go and do something special for Canada um, is really cool because it's this weird sport and it actually galvanises everyone that they've found each other through through this weird sport that's only played professionally in Australia. <laughs> and then and then it allows me to work with elite athletes because I actually don't like teaching the game. I, I like getting good athletes that kind of already know what they're doing and making them better. And so it's ticked a lot of those boxes for me. So, you know, I, I certainly serve the, the team uh, and, and Aussie rules, but it serves me in return. It gives me a lot of, a lot of pride and I think plugs into the skills that I have really well as well. In the process of being in that role and having sort of the blog, the, um, input of information and these different experiences you're getting from your podcast and then you have this so it's like you have the lab and then you have the the input from innovation you know have you been sort of going okay I, I've I've talked about this now I'm going to employ this and see if it works in my in my laboratory or not and vice versa taking the laboratory experience and litmus testing it with others is is that something you've been doing and and what have you learned in in the process of doing that it's a you're the first person that's picked up on that uh yeah yeah absolutely i mean it's a constant test environment and uh, i mean i'm in i'm in the middle of of writing another book about coaching and one of the things i talk about is that we're all professional guesses and 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 that's just it is that it is a testing ground. And so the answer to your question is, yeah, absolutely. That's, and especially as I've learned from people that have done greater and greater things and achieved greater and greater things and have been paying attention while they've been achieving them and have built teams and have, you know, played on, on great squads, bad squads, you know, I've been able to dilute that information and, you know, grab grab their grab their best ideas, and then say, okay, well, it can't work like that exactly with us, but there's a nugget there for us, and let's go and try it. And so, yeah, like the best coaching education I've ever done was to start a podcast. Yeah, I was listening to your Adam Grant, Joe Dumars one this morning, just again f- for some flavor and outstanding conversation with the group of you. Uh, kudos to you um, and and to those guys, the stuff they brought forward. And I'm actually wanted to p- pull off of that with your experience. There's one point when you guys start talking about, you know, um, this one guy, I forget what the player's name was, walked onto the court 30 seconds late and, Dumars decides whether, you know, he's going to find the the guy and the coach says, aren't you going to find him? Da, 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 da. And what I'm interested when you listen to that, that story is there are coaches that have been successful by employing the lay of the law at that point and saying, you know, nobody comes late, you know, you're late, 
you're off the bus kind of thing. And then there's other coaches, as Dumars kind of exp- talks about, who kind of let things go and find a way to sort of massage that and manage that. And we saw a lot of that in the Michael Jordan um, documentary recently as well. So what have you learned in your process of distilling these different conversations that differentiates the success pathway of either of those two circumstances like there's you've got to see something in the middle that's the real reason it works versus it's not so much about being stuck on the rules or being loose with the rules there's something in the middle and i'm curious what you think that is or if you've kind of thought about it yeah the answer is context and i mean that's the perfect example of context and uh, I think the trap that we fall into so quickly is this binary way of thinking about cultural environments like that. So, you know, <laughs> another person that, that I interviewed early on was James Kerr who wrote Legacy, and that's the, that's the perfect example. The amount of environments now that basically rip everything that the all wax have ever done and put into their environment is astounding to me because it lacks context. Mm-hmm. You, ha- you haven't done the work that the all blacks did the foundational work to tie your culture to the history, the Maori people, the, the storytelling, the, uh, the tribesmanship, the honor, that the All Blacks did. You have to do that work first. And if you haven't done that work, there's no no dickheads policy. There's no, like, all the stuff that they have, sweep the sheds. It's all just still that same sprinkling of surface-level BS. Mm. And, and that's where I think we get it wrong. It, it's not about um, having what everyone else has. It's about having what you have better. Mm. And, um, and so a long way of answering your question is that I think um, uh, what I've learned and, and actually that, that episode with Joe and Adam is what, what Joe did was completely blew my mind on everything that I thought about team building in about an hour. And, you know, from, from that example of not finding the player, and I can't remember who that was, to, you know, what he said about, uh, actually trading for Rashid Wallace, um, who, you know, has the most technical fouls in NBA history still to this day, I think, and and being, a you know, this hot-headed, tempered player that, um, you know, was going to be a disruption to the culture that ends up becoming the captain of the team and winning, you know, titles and all-star awards and all this sort of stuff, is that there is no one way. Uh, there is no one way and it really depends on a whole range of different facets and isn't that what's great about team sports though is that there isn't one way we should actually be appreciating instead of trying to find this one red thread we should actually be appreciating the fact that there isn't one and that you can do it a bunch of different ways and you can have an Alex Ferguson like I'm the coach these are the rules kind of environment that thrives and you can have a you know, a, a, a more relaxed kind of laissez-faire cultural, you know, empowerment environment, and that works too. That's beautiful. Well, it was interesting too, the conversation you were having around humility and fundamentally, like, some, you know, it takes all kinds to make up a team. You're going to have some that have humility and some who have no humility, but they thrive as well. And it's how you congeal that whole group together that is the real difference maker than the, the specific um, character of any one individual, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that too is that there's there's a beauty in that, in that how you pull the puzzle together changes every time. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think becomes addictive about coaching is that it is this this testing ground, this melting pot, and you're, you're constantly seeing, like, can I push the boundaries here? You know, does it, is, can this player work in this environment? Um, you know, even that example, Rashid Wallace, like, you know, Joe says, he's like, I, I think I can work with him. Um, you know, I don't care about all the 
all the newspaper reports. He's like, oh, I think I can get through to him. And ultimately the story that he tells there is that, you know, he was able to work with him and he was able to say, you know, like, uh, here's the, here are the boundaries. Um, can we agree to those boundaries? And other than that, like go out there and play, man. Like, I just want you to be you and go and play and, and the results are there. <laughs> they, they, beat, they beat a Los Angeles Lakers team that had Kobe Bryant, Shaquille O'Neal, Gary Payton, Carl Malone, and Phil Jackson as coach. You know, with this with this group of guys like Rashid Wallace, like it it worked. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I'm going to read your purpose from my book, my little book. If you've listened to my podcast, you've heard this part. So, mm-hmm. you're May 25th. You said you were born. So you are a Gemini 7. So your purpose is to bring your dream into the moment and recognize your power to create and transform your life and those of others. Spirituality is a a kind of virgin wisdom, a knowing that comes prior to experience. Marilyn Ferguson. Gemini 5s are psychic. Mercury, Neptune, Tune persons are high on imagination. They pay a price. The names of things and places elude them like invisible ink. When thoughts dissolve, the Gemini 7 has been transported either to the angels or to the snake pit. No middle ground here. As with all Neptune combinations, spirit and faith are paramount. This combination moves quickly. In a blink of an eye, their ideas have changed and so have their circumstances and awareness. Exterior security does not exist. That's why their instincts are so important. Gemini 7s must choose between dreaming about life or living it not an easy task for this combination the stars seem to pull them into their embrace and hold them high above the pettiness of life however from that height they have perspective not experience and experience is what being a gemini is all about the danger of pursuing dreams is that the dream becomes reality and the gemini sevens are left with the need to create something new to pine for if they have taken on the perfectionist side of this combination they might find they want it all or nothing some succeed but most are left with nothing life is a mixed bag so use your gemini daring and try a bit of everything it can only make you a better person don't know how that hits you in the chest or not but. well my my mom uh, is very spiritual and and uh so uh, yeah a lot of that resonates and uh yeah we we grew up in that environment my sister and i around you know astrology and numerology and and uh um, you know, linking or, you know, kind of all the different spiritual elements of life together. And so, yeah, it does resonate. So when I bounce into you, uh, you are, are doing a presentation on this idea that, and I, I want you to elaborate on it, but, and it's something that I have a, a deep thread of interest in myself. And it's part of the reason for this podcast is this sense that we, you know, in the coaching fraternity, and I would say extend that into the performance community, there's this kind of all or nothing uh, belief system that you just throw yourself in. And it's the hundred uh, hour work weeks and who's in first and who's out last. And, you know, it burns people out. And the question becomes, how can we, in essence, be high quality coaches, be high quality performance professionals, but still have a human life in essence and and, and experience that. And you you seem to be on a bit of a quest to to change that um, dynamic a little bit. So tell me about what's instigated that in you and where you're headed with that. Yeah, this fell into my lap a little bit. I was really uh kind of searching for whatever the next book was going to be and i've got i've got about five half written things in my google drive you know under half-baked ideas um but it was actually through covid that you know when it first hit and and coaches were kind of doing nothing uh not that they weren't doing anything but you know you knew where they were and and i just started calling coaches and seeing how they were and how they were holding up and and a lot were struggling um and so just started having more and more conversations and yeah I guess something that I had been wondering about or sitting with for quite some time is maybe the x factor that we're all looking at is actually us so rather than chasing 0.01 percent improvement in the athlete you know, trying to get them to 
squat more or you know whatever we're chasing at the moment is maybe it's maybe it's two or three percent is actually us as the coaches and you know I started to look at this idea of you know what I'm calling high performance knowledge work and what that looks like because we are high performance knowledge workers Um, our athletes are, are high performance athletic workers and so the physiology and, and the mentality and the, the psychology of it all need to fit together for them at game time. But for us, our power is, is in our brain. And so when you start to pull on that thread, it becomes, all right, so as the experts in uh, what happens when someone doesn't sleep, what happens when you eat Kentucky Fried Chicken every meal, uh, what happens when you can't, get to bed so you slink into the into the hotel bar for five coolers lights before bed because you can't get to sleep um and you end up doing that night after night on the road uh, how does that impact the athletes and then uh, subsequently yourself and your relationships and your holistic health and your wellness and your relationships with your your partner and your children and I just I started pulling that thread and <laughs> and it uh, it all started to, to come together and um, the more and more I've been speaking about it and you know I'm ninety percent of the way through writing a book about it is there's there's something there um, and we know there's something there everyone that you speak to is like yeah geez uh, yeah I could improve my performance but I, I've been led down this path of yeah, hundred hour weeks and and I've got to always be available. Like that's what head coaches say. I've always got to be available. I've got to be available to the guys. Well, no, like you've got a whole organization. The organization needs to be available to the guys if they're in trouble or they need something. Um, it doesn't always need to be you. And you know, coaches will say, I've got to watch the tape. Well, again, no, someone needs to watch the tape and code the tape. Um it doesn't necessarily need to be the head coach. And, yeah, I just think all in all there's there's percentage points to be had from us. And so if we can um, be adults about it, I think we need to take a step back and say, yeah, actually we need to get our houses in order so that we're in the right frame of mind to teach and teach at our optimum so that the athletes can actually uh, receive that teaching in, in the optimal way as well. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a, there's there's this kind of contextual loneliness or aloneness that comes with being sort of the head coach or in the coaching fraternity, and that's what's often described to um, to everyone outside of it um, that you sort of are you know on in this space and you don't know how much you should share. You're not taught the idea of being vulnerable is not necessarily looked at being as as being linked to being courageous in, a, in essence and there's this sense that you have to go it alone and, and make it happen and so it's almost ironic because the whole idea of team is to be together in something and to work together but yet as the coach you are challenged by that in some sense so what is it about the learning curve um, of coaching that we need to change um, in its experience that allows the coach to recognize that in order for them to grow, they need to be, in essence, vulnerable. They need to explore the strengths of the people, the community around them and not be alone, be with versus alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're exactly right. And, and I'll tell you the catalyst of w- what really made me pull the trigger on this book was I was reading Eddie Jones's autobiography and on the third page, he starts talking about loneliness and the loneliness of being a head coach. And if you don't know who Eddie Jones is, he's the head coach of England's rugby men's rugby team. Um, He's taken Australia, the assistant coach, South Africa and England to the rugby world cup final, um, coach Japan to beat South Africa. Like this is a man whose autobiography should be about achievement. And three pages in, he's talking about how lonely it is. And there's just something wrong there. And um, I, I think to answer your question, Scott, is, is part of it 
that keeps coming back to me is the the identity factor within coaching. And I, I'm going to talk about head coaches because I'm specifically writing for head coaches mm. um, because they are such bastions of this world and the kind of the keepers and the guardians of a lot of um, a lot of what goes on. But really, we could be talking about anyone in performance, anyone in in professional sport. I think there needs to be a recognition of like we need to take a step back and there needs to be some recognition of the fact that our performance matters too. And you can, you can have humility and service, but also um, arrogance and protect time uh, for yourself. And so we need to really step into that idea of being high performance knowledge workers. Like the question should be what the question should, shouldn't be, um, you know, <laughs> why aren't they here at the facility? The question should be why aren't they at home in bed, mm. like sleeping? And, you know, again, I, I, I don't think we're too far removed because we know all these things about performance. We're the ones that research them. We're the ones that know how teams fit together. Um, but because, yeah, there's there's uncertainty with contracts, there's this belief that, uh, you need to do 100 hours to be successful because the next person is doing it. There's this belief that don't share because someone will stab you in the back. Um, all those are realities, and I don't think it's about avoiding those realities. It's about, um, you know, trying to, to move the needle realistically for ourselves as well mm -hmm. um, and move towards the environments that we're trying to create for our players. <laughs> Because we wouldn't put up with backstabbing amongst the players, we'd get rid of we'd get rid of that immediately. We'd stomp on it. We wouldn't put up with um, you know players not sleeping well enough. We wouldn't put you know with you know, not doing their uh, you know not logging their um, their survey in the morning. Like we wouldn't put up with any of these things for them. So what about us as well? Mm. Why don't we aim to achieve at that level and aim to have a team dynamic amongst the staff that is equal to what we expect of the players? Um, that's really the question that I'm asking. Mm. And, and I, I'm not saying that I have solutions. I, I'm saying I have questions for you and you should think about these questions. How, how has that conversation and that inquiry changed the way you're coaching and the way you do things with your team? Yeah, again, uh, the ability to be able to speak about this and bounce ideas off other coaches that are in uh, much higher stakes environments than me has been really advantageous. And, um, yeah, it's it's made me start to put structures in place around myself to keep me accountable. Um, and that's, you know, from my staff and from my players and, and really opening up their ability to challenge me personally. Uh, like I, I would love, I would love to be fined for being late to a meeting. Uh, and I would love for some, for a player to say, to say like, yeah, why aren't you in bed? Well, you know, we've got a game tomorrow. You should be in bed. Um, that's not only is that, great from an empowerment perspective and a, uh, I think just a good practice for accountability. But there's an in-group perspective to that as well, where now, you know, the, the coaches and, and the staff are in the in-group rather than this, this adversarial thing that we've developed where the, the coaches are seen as management and the players are seen as the playing group and there's, the, there's adversarial um, dynamic between them. I think it's a lot healthier if we're all in it together and curfew applies to the coaches too. Uh, go to bed so that we can all make better decisions in the morning. Um, so that's where I'm trying to head towards it. There's some players that won't take that up. Uh, there's some coaches that won't take that up, but I think we can create that environment and, and uh, trust that it's going to work. A lot of the people who listen to this podcast are people in the human performance industry. And I'm, um, you know, you were talking about Burge earlier and, you know, he talked a lot about, about his sort of journey and some burnouts, um, circumstances and things like that. Um, how, how do you, as a coach, looking at it from his perspective or a performance professionals perspective, how do you, how do the performance professionals bring their, their acumen and ability 
their knowledge, as you talked about, of the game, of the of the supportive elements of the game to the coach in a way that allows the coach to be informed um, and make better decisions, but at the same time not be um, protective of their space and, and in some sense um, remain alone, if you know what I'm saying. Because I have found through my career over time that there's kind of a – a disconnect by between the two two animals and there's things that bring them together there's a commonality that brings them together but a lot of times coaches push away on the technology and the knowledge and the and all that stuff they just want that person to be a good team person so to speak and so they don't take advantage of the power of the computer so to speak in front of them but then the professionals in our space maybe focus too much on that. So I'm curious on your end as a coach and the things you've done now, how do you instigate better relationships between those two parties so that you get more out of the working um, relationship? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe it's contextualization and, and communication. So um, contextualization is is finding that thread that the head coach is interested in and communicating around that. Mm. Um, And so I think particularly sports scientists, what they do poorly, um, and I I hate to bundle people together like that, but for the sake of of this argument, um, and and again, there's an environmental element to this as well in terms of how, how, sports scientists are conditioned often they're talking to themselves Mm. so the reports and and the way that they're talking is to themselves um a coach doesn't care about any of that sort of stuff uh necessarily not saying they don't care but um what a coach wants to know is how is this you know the, the the great book does it make the boat go faster is you know how are we getting closer to winning um or I don't care about the injury. How long is this player missing? Just tell me um, mm. and, and kind of get to that context of what's actually going on. Um, I think would be a step in the right direction. Mm. And then, uh, you know, it's almost at a point of over-communication, I think as well. You know, Berger often talks about the idea of, uh, um, you know, slipping GPS data under Pimperbake's uh, door every night at, when he was with the Socceroos and nothing came of it for, for months, three or four months. And then there was a question one day. So, like, Berger, like, what, what's going on with this? Like why, you know, and, and unfortunately for everyone is sometimes the coach just needs to come to the realisation on their own time that that's important now and what that takes is just showing up every day and doing the right thing and that's the right thing to keep giving them the information and allow them to uh to come to the realization themselves uh takes a lot of trust uh it takes a lot of guts to keep showing up and not hear anything back about your report um but yeah, I think those would be adding context and then just keep communicating, Mm. uh, I think would be two things that I can almost point to every single time I speak to either a head coach or, you know, a performance person that that there's friction on both sides, but that we're trying to solve the same problem is what I'm saying to everyone. (laughs) (laughs) What is, what has been the cost equation for you of being, you know, uh, f- fired and passion in passioned about what you're doing now. Has there been a cost equation, whether that's relational or personal, to you to be get after what, what what you're getting after, whether it's podcasting or coaching? Yeah, I'd say it's probably gotten to the point where there's you know friendships that have probably. Um, you know, uh, maybe not friendships anymore in that, you, you know, you, you certainly have to put time into doing the things that I'm doing. But then also, and I can't think of any specific examples of, of me, but, you know, uh, 
yeah, the, the success uh, kind of once you reach a certain level actually drives people crazy and um, it, it almost becomes a, you know, some people start to think about like how dare you succeed mm-hmm. um, and it becomes a, um, you know, we want you to be good but not not really good at what mm-hmm. you're doing, um, which is unfortunate and I, I've, I've heard that from quite a few people that have you know, managed to create some level of, of success in their life, whether it be podcasting or, or anything else, is that it ends up costing them relationships, which um, is probably good in the long run in that, you know, those, those people weren't necessarily friends uh, anyway. But, uh, yeah, the, I mean, the time allocation is huge. And, and you know, for me, uh, because I have an obsessive element in my personality, is that I really need to be on top of everything that I do now, uh, particularly for my wife, in terms of making sure that there is time protected and 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 present time with her, um, because I, I get energy from her, and and having a, a great relationship and a great friendship with her is is really important to my overall well being, and I I know and she knows that I can slip into that. Uh, fiery obsessive like i want to conquer the world thing and, and if i go down that path it can be months and so um yeah friendships and then like protecting that that time for uh, for people that really truly give you energy and for most people that's their kids and their their wife or their, their mom and, and things like that so uh yeah i think that's a pretty common one if you ran into the 18-year-old kid who um, didn't get drafted, what would you say to him now? Don't change a thing. Very cool. Why? Uh, I've ended up in a much better spot, and it's – not getting drafted probably taught me more about life in the world than if I had a, and I, I didn't have that perspective at the time. It, w- it was my world, but it's not the world. Mm. And there are a lot more interesting things out there. And I, I wouldn't be on this journey. I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you if I'd been drafted. So, mm. you know, here we are. This is, this is the best time to be alive right now, what we're doing right now. So, um, yeah, I. One of the things I've settled on as a just a person is I refuse to have regret because I had choices and I've been really lucky and I know not everyone has choices like I've had, and I've been able to have doors open for me and walk through those doors, and uh, yeah, I, I have a, a a sense of contentment that it was the right decision at that time because I made that decision at the time and it felt right. So, um, yeah, <laughs> the worst thing that's ever happened to me and the best thing that's ever happened to me was not getting drafted. Well, um, I noticed uh, when you instigated your podcast, you started with this co- kind, kind of bringing two parties together and having a conversation, and now you're more into the sort of direct. What's What's been the genesis of the change over time in the way you formatted your podcast and and why? Yeah, the original idea was that I need, I wanted to create something quite different. Uh, you know, when when you're formulating a show, uh, I was trying to look at it from a competitive advantage angle. And, you know, why would someone listen to me interview one person when Tim Ferriss is a hell of a lot better? You know, you're a hell of a lot better. Oprah Winfrey is a hell of a lot better. So what I was, what I was trying to do was figure out, what I can add to the listener's life that other people weren't adding. And so what I was able to come up with was two guests and around a theme that they were already talking about or had expertise in. And just because of my interest in different uh, sports in different countries, what I was able to do within that was to introduce people who were already talking about those similar uh, issues uh, but didn't know each other. Mm. So, for instance, you know, Adam 
grew up in Detroit, so you better believe he was a Detroit Pistons fan. <laughs> but despite the fact that Adam Grant's the best organizational psychologist and the most well-known organizational psychologist on the planet, had never met Joe Dumas. And so they both talk about humility. So why not go and pull them together? So, you know, it's a networking opportunity for those two. They get to meet uh, someone new. Uh, and then collectively, the bang for buck for the listener to listen to what is three people, myself included, um, talk about the, that problem. Uh, I, I thought that would be a, an interesting perspective. And mm. really the only way, the only reason it's shifted from that is because it's bloody hard to get th- three people aligned <laughs> on schedules. <laughs> I managed to find a window somehow in those early days. It's yeah. really hard now. And, and actually some people have said no, believe it or not. They don't want to do it, have a second person on, even if, even if they're, uh, you know, a quote-unquote celebrity or, a, a, you know, one of the top thinkers in the world. So, mm, interesting. But, yeah, I would love to do more of it, but it, it's become really hard operationally to get it done. Mm-hmm. What's, your ongo- what's your future mission with the podcast? Where do you want to go with it? It's really interesting that you bring this up. I've been thinking about this a lot, and the reason that I haven't done any shows since May 25th, my birthday, was because I wasn't sure, and I didn't want to just churn out crap that didn't add any value and was just regurgitating old ideas or I wasn't happy with. So, yeah, the next probably two years, I'd say, I really want to tackle this coaching health idea, this, uh, you know, high-performance knowledge work and trying to move the needle for people in the industry and and really advocate for change in that space. Um, I guess you could bundle it in under under mental health or well-being or, or holistic health, but um, it, it's literally on the precipice of something drastic happening from burnout and and I mean that if you if you go and look at at the AFL uh, head coach stepped down last week after his first full year of coaching because of um, because of mental health and and that's what I mean we are literally on the precipice of having an active head coach uh, do something drastic because of these pressures and so something needs to change now it's not going to happen within the industry. Um, because everyone's in the industry, so what you know, uh, you just do what what you need to do, and so maybe it takes. I call myself a a close outsider. Um, I'm a close outsider to the industry, so maybe it it takes a book or a podcast from me to uh, to make some change there. So I'm going to wave that flag for a couple of years and see what happens. Cool, awesome mission. Um... You have a an ally in me on that one for sure, and uh, I enjoyed listening to your podcast. And you have a new fan, so I'll be listening a little bit more regularly. But uh, to the the old product, uh, there was some really good threads there. So um, we could probably go on for a, a while, but I asked you for an hour, and uh, thank you for your time today. It's nice to meet you, Cody. I hope, hope we bounce into each other in another format at some future point when all of this craziness is over. And uh, good luck with your journey and thanks for taking the time yeah thanks scott i appreciate coming on and yeah uh, looking forward to having a latte or a beer at some point um either in toronto or montreal sounds like a good plan take care thanks for joining us today on leave your mark i hope we've left a mark on you today and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day. Music by Cedric de Saint-Rome.